here we are. It's been a long time. It's been, what, two, three weeks? Yep. And traveling all around. But here we are again in the Griffith Conference Room in the glorious Northern Seminary, where the weather is actually better than California right now. <laughs> it might be. I walked right outside today and I, I, I put my hands towards the Lord and I said, why do I feel like I'm in California? Somebody said, don't spoil it, don't spoil it. Look, California weather is overrated. But anyways, here we are, back with the podcast, Theology on a Mission, and uh, hand you over to the host. Or are you the host or the co-host? Which host? I don't are? know. Co-host. We're co-hosts. Jeff Holtzclaw, ladies and gentlemen. Holtzclaw? I'm the Holtzclaw? I said Holtzclaw. <laughs> Fair enough. How you been, anyways? Haven't seen you in a while. Great. The news is, is we just had uh, our first group of the... MATM students come in this Saturday. Which is uh, Master of Arts in Theology Master of Arts, Mission. Master of Arts in Theology Mission. Our first cohort just came in I was out of town, Saturday. everybody. I was sorry to miss that. The laggard, Dave Fitch, was not there, but we had a great group of people. Very diverse men and women from all over Chicago. It's super exciting, so I'm really good with that. Had a great uh, Sunday of worship uh, a couple days ago. So I'm doing great. And the weather is amazing. Uh, so in weather. California, about the weather, in California, Either there was 72 degrees, not an ounce of humidity in the air. It feels like California. I'm in my backyard. We have a, a bonfire in the backyard on Saturday night when I got home. I got home Saturday night. And we roasted hot dogs. And, of course, Northwestern Wildcats won again, by the way. The greatest oh, college football I team was in not- the nation. Paying attention. <clears throat> Northwestern, the greatest college football team not. in the nation. Big Ten football. Here we go. Kick <laughs> butt. Kick those Ohio State creeps off the face of the earth. Yes, you heard it right. Anyways, we got to get to the podcast. Folks. So Dave Thank Fitch you. is preaching the virtues of the Northwestern Wildcats, but that uh, leads us to our and topic the Hamilton of the Tiger day. Cats. And the, yeah, we're, uh, that leads us to the topic of today, which is preaching. preaching. From Northern Seminary, in partnership with Missio Alliance, this is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsclaw and David Fitch. Preaching in many ways is one of those particular practical intersections of theology and mission. You get the sense that in preaching, we're proclaiming something, right? There's always a theology involved. We're we're proclaiming a world that we hope to transform listeners. And so there's that mission element. But on a higher level, preaching uh, is this intersection of theology and mission because there's a a theological question of what is God doing in the midst of this preaching event? And then there's a missionary question, which is, should we preach and how should we preach? And in what way is the most effective way to preach in the world of mission that we're in? So I was talking with Aaron Nequist a couple of weeks ago. He leads the practice at Willow Creek. And he mentioned a book called Start With Why. At first when he said that, I thought he meant start with the letter Y. Start, you know, like not, you know, X, Y, Z. But no, he meant the why the word. Start with why. This book talks about why do we do things. You always want to talk about why you do things before you ask how to do them. So before we get to the question of how do we preach, the or guy how do we wrote a whole preaching? book on that. Yeah, 
I didn't read it, but that's I was, by the way, I was really glad that Aaron Summer That's the number it for one me. question. Why are we doing this? What are we doing here? Where are we going? Before we even go into the how. I couldn't agree more with Aaron Nequist. Okay, so this is what we're doing. So we want to talk about why preach? Why preaching? And then that naturally will roll into well, what is preaching? So why would we preach? I would like to start with the what. Because the what kind of clarifies the why. Here's the what. Dude, you just like skipped five of my points here. I might forget it. Throw that out. Episode believe, notes are gone. Now, now I'm following uh, the uh, estimable, esteemable, uh, is that a word? C.H. Uh, Dodd, Apostolic Preaching of the Cross, which I think is in the 1930s. And C.H. Dodd was this person who, a New Testament scholar who made, who kind of uh, described and drew out the distinction between proclamation and teaching in the New Testament and the New Testament church. And basically what he was trying to say was, is that proclamation is like an announcement or like a declaration of the good news that God has done this profound cosmic transformation of the world in Christ. And it's an announcement versus teaching, which is more of a... uh, instruction to Christians for how to live. And so there's this sharp distinction between preaching or proclamation and teaching in the New Testament. And and so and then he he made the additional claim uh, that proclamation was proclaiming the gospel is more about uh, doing that to non-Christians. Teaching is more for Christians who already have received the gospel, who are already living into the gospel, now need to know how to live the Christian life under the gospel. I Those distinctions have been somewhat debated and critiqued over the years, but I think that still holds. I think proclamation is a different speech act, and it does something completely different than teaching, although there is some teaching in proclamation and there probably is some proclamation within teaching. But proclaiming describes the world as it is under Jesus as Lord out of Scripture and proclaims its reality that God has come in Christ to make the world right. He's fulfilled his promise in Christ. He is Lord of the world. He is Lord of the universe. And he's working towards fulfillment of reconciling the whole world to himself. That's proclaiming the gospel and expounding what that means for us here today in this context. And that's a different speech act than teaching and explaining what that means and, and explaining all the details and where this came from and how this makes sense, etc., etc. Both are needed in the church. But once we get that straight, we'll see why proclamation is so important to the uh, work of shaping a congregation into mission. So... One way of maybe saying that goes back to, uh, you know, we talked about a couple episodes ago about the linguistic turn and philosophy and these different types of things. And on the one hand, there's a difference between saying and showing. So this is sometimes what philosophers and uh, theologians will talk about. So like the teaching moment is more like saying. You're saying what is true about the world and how the world functions according to Scripture or something like that. But is proclamation more of like the showing? You're describing the world as it is. You're trying to fill it out in the detail. And I know uh, we talk about trying to engage the imagination. We're trying to help people see the world differently, which means preaching and proclamation shows different things about the world. Uh, things were to be called out of and things were to be called into rather than just saying it, which usually just yeah. engages the intellect. Yeah. Uh, proclaiming is description. Teaching is more prescription. So in a way, 
You can't have teaching without proclaiming. You can't have teaching somebody about something till it has been uh, described for them to understand why they might want to even participate in this reality. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, preaching versus teaching. And, and uh, of course, Brueggemann was the master at talking. And I think in Cadences of Hope, is that the mm-hmm. Cadence of Hope? That, that great book about preaching, Preaching Among the Exiles, I think was the mm-hmm. subtitle. Yeah, he talks about funding the imagination. Preaching funds the imagination. So when Jesus said, proclaim, the kingdom of God in Luke chapter 10, uh, or he proclaimed the kingdom in Mark chapter 1. The kingdom of God is near. It is coming upon you. It is here. It is breaking in. He's trying to declare that a reality has now is now taking shape. So in Luke chapter 4, when he's quoting that passage out of Isaiah, you know, the blind see, the, the lame walk, the captives are set free, and then he says... Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's a, it's a moment where, as, we, as it's described by the Holy Spirit, we're able to see something we couldn't see before. And by the Holy Spirit, we submit to it and enter into it. And we're able to live the gospel, not just believe the gospel in an intellectual ascent kind of way. So, given, so part of, uh, I think, helping to understand maybe what you're getting at with proclamation. What, how has some contemporary preaching maybe got off track in your mind? I know you spent several years ago, you have a whole chapter in Great Giveaway on this. That was back in your angry phase. Now you're much more ironic, right? Exactly. The ironic Dave Fitch is, is now among us. So, but but uh, can you fill out some of these things? What are, what are some of the problems with some of the contemporary teaching or preaching that uh, you well, see dis- we, disconnecting from mission? We... Okay, so let's not diss teaching. Teaching's important for the church. But if that's all we do, we are, we are basically reinforcing what Christians already believe. I've got to be careful how I just said that. Um, in other words, <clears throat> um, most of what teaching is, is it's building on what you already know and deepening it and explaining it and helping people get their arms. It's, it's, there's more of a cognitive function here. And so it helps us kind of walk with confidence and it's a reinforcement of what we already know. That's pretty okay in a Christendom world where everybody's Christians and we live in a Christendom world where, every, where, where our world, let's call it worldview, or our understanding of the way we see the world at work is never challenged. You know, we, we have church on Sunday, we go out, we live in the world, and, and, our, and our understanding that Jesus is Lord is never challenged. Unfortunately today, for most of us living in North America and the West, we go into a world that that basically operates as if not only Jesus is not Lord, but God does not even exist. And, we're into, and, and so we need to see the world as it is under Jesus as Lord. We need that world proclaimed to us. And again and again, our imaginations opened and, and, and to receive and enter into the gospel again and again and again. Not only do we, do we need it on Sunday morning, which we do, but we need it during the week. We need people to proclaim the gospel into our lives as to what's going on in our lives, the suffering, the pain, the hurts, uh, our tendency to take control of things, our tendency to not trust God and walk in faith. We must proclaim Jesus is Lord over this situation. He's at work. He is the one who works in redemption and suffering to accomplish his purposes. This is the way of the land, the rule of the land. On and on and on. I mean, we could proclaim 
the, the Bible is one unfurling of who he is and what he's doing in the world into our situation. And that's what a good proclaimer does. And so what preaching can become is just reinforcing the troops and what they already know. Right. And it can become very controlling. And, and it's almost like three points and an application point. So we have another good thing to do to become a better Christian. And it doesn't fund us for what God's doing in the world so we can participate in his mission in the world. Okay, you got that? Everybody, everybody listening? Did you catch all that? Did you catch all that? Did it go on too long? <laughs> no, that was just a lot. That was a lot of good stuff. So uh, so about teaching, as I know part of the problem is with t- teaching, as you said, is it kind of reinforces what we always know. And so therefore, Already know. So therefore, it doesn't move toward the transformation of people. And so you start losing the transformation, the challenge of the gospel. In other words, teaching is information. Preaching or proclamation is Formation. Formation, exactly. And so if pre- preaching becomes too identified with teaching, and our preaching it becomes very intellectual, and when it becomes intellectual, it means that we have these truths that we're supposed to know. So therefore, the, the job of the preacher is to find the truths in the text, and the text of Scripture becomes this object of our commitments and then all of a sudden... Object of our commitment? Well, our commitment as far as the work that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to look at the text and keep looking at the text yeah. and, and mine out and find these truths in the text. And then our job is just to hand them over to the congregation. Yeah. And so uh, so then a lot of the work of the preacher just becomes very text-focused, which is not wrong as uh, this podcast uh, continues. You'll see, you'll see that we are very committed to the text. But it becomes uh, this object, and then as you said, from the object or this truth comes an application, and then the application, it can, after a while, become another law. So we have this law of self-righteousness. Works righteousness. Yeah, we have this, you know, and then some people... So uh, let me just say, so... Was I going on too long? No, but at the beginning of Life on the Vine, when we were planting that church, uh, there was a church nearby whose name shall not be mentioned, but it was not Willow Creek. Anyways, we we used to meet people uh, periodically from the this large church where the pastor would uh, methodically, lexically, word for word, exposit the text and then give another thing you should do that'll help you be a better Christian. They were exhausted by two years of this. They had like 78 application points that they were trying to catch up with and they were exhausted. They needed to be proclaimed and receive and be transformed into living into the world. Jesus is Lord and the Holy Spirit as the renewal of all things for our lives in the world. Mm-hmm. And instead, right. they got a bunch of things they needed to do every Sunday. See and what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I think uh, what happens in a situation like that is you get two typical responses. One is you get the people who are up for the challenge. Oh, I'm going to do all that stuff. And then they try to do it, and maybe they succeed in doing all those things, and they become very self-righteous. They become very, you know, I'm, I've succeeded in the things the pastor has told me to do. I must be okay, right? Uh, or you get the people, and these are the people that usually come to, you know, have come to Life on the Vine and other places. They get burned out. They get discouraged. They get frustrated. I can't do all this stuff. I'm a failure. I'm a bad Christian. I'm doing this thing wrong. I'm just, it's all wrong, right? So you, whenever you put a law in front of people, you always get those two responses, either the people who want to succeed and feel they have or the people who don't feel they have um, and can't succeed. But that's not what preaching should do. Preaching should always drive people toward Christ and, and the gospel. And the gospel, the gospel is Christ. God has come in Christ to be Lord of the world and Lord of our lives. And in this way, we can now live into it. 
And it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I might add, you know, Paul says, I came to you not with these brilliant words of wisdom, these brilliant Greco, uh, you know, rational, philosophical, brilliant insights. This is in 1 Corinthians 2, I think. Mm-hmm. He said, I came in weakness. Foolishness. I came in with the foolishness of the gospel. Christ crucified only. And uh, what that means is that, um, you know, we come and we must be present in humility and vulnerability and proclaim the gospel out of our lives and our context over other people and over the over the congregation. So it's very important. It's not an act of expertise or hubris or I stand over you as your expert and now I'm going to tell you what to do. No, I stand among you as a gifted person to proclaim the gospel and I, I am one of you and I proclaim out of my weakness, out of my, out of my experience, but out of the text that this is what God's doing among us. See the different posture mm-hmm. that proclamation is versus uh, teaching. I, I get a lot of pushback because I don't think people always understand what I'm trying to say about proclamation. And I think I'm trying to like say, I need to, we need to go in there and kick some butt and tell people what to do. And, you know, we, we quit being mamby, bamby, blah, blah, blah. No, this is proclamation is a speech act all unto itself that's different than uh, what we typically experience in, frankly, evangelical church today. And we need it if we're going to shape communities into mission. Mm. All right, so what's your, if you were, I know I'm putting you on the spot, if you were to give a one-sentence definition of preaching to wrap up this section, what would it be? Preaching is? Announcing the new world has come in Jesus Christ as Lord. That was right off the top of my head. Announcing the new world in Jesus Christ has come. That's good. That's good stuff. So now we're going to move on to uh, the how of preaching. But before that, uh, I want to give a quick plug for the Missional Learning Commons. It's coming up in November, November 6th and 7th. Our theme is going to be the mission of preaching, which is why I'm bringing it up today. So please follow Theology on Mission on Facebook for all the details and sign up for our newsletter so that you don't ever miss anything. Dave Fitch is going to be there. He's going to be filling out some of the stuff that he's been talking about right now. Tara Beth Leach, who's also a Northern grad, will be talking about... I don't think she's a grad yet. She's not a grad yet. She's a Northern student. You're right. She's going to be talking about how can we percolate in the spirit uh, in the process of preparing for our sermons. Matt Tebby, Matt, good uh, friend Tara of ours. Matt is a uh, is one of the pastors over at uh, Christ Church. Christ, Park. right. Uh, Matt Tebby, living currently in Indianapolis and planning a church there. He'll be coming and speaking about uh, how can we fund a resurrection imagination. And also, Mandy Smith will be coming and will prompt us about how to preach from and to vulnerable places. Mandy, in fact, is coming out with a new book called The Vulnerable Pastor, which I've been reading, which I love, through InterVarsity. And that's being released the same week, actually, as the Mission Learning Commons. And she's going to be leading us through some of that on Friday night, which I'm super excited about. So is Dave. So again, that's November 6th and 7th here in Chicago. Follow Theology on Mission on Facebook for details and sign up for our newsletter so that you don't miss anything. 
All right, on to my next page. Or, or are you just going to skip this and riff on whatever? Mm, I can't predict. Okay, he's not sure. But so elements of a sermon. Now this goes back to um, some infamous or famous, famously infamous slides on preaching that you pulled together with the wonderful clip arts and fonts. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Oh, it's, I just it's, it's amazing. I'm terrible. So you have these seven elements. So why don't you kind of walk us through it, and I'll kind of add commentary also. This is kind of how. At Life in the Vine, we've been doing a College of Preachers um, thing every summer where we invite several of our um, congregants to kind of be able to have the opportunity to preach uh, a couple times over the summer. And we go through many of these different types of things. And I know, Dave, you lead in these things also. So what are some of the elements of a sermon that you see as appropriate for this missional context in the well, post-Christendom West. We're not going to be able to go through all this, right? So you just want me to highlight one or two? Or? I don't know. You, you, whichever. If these mean, are all good. Uh, we okay. can do these. So so for me, uh, really important that uh, you uh, have Scripture at the center of the sermon. Uh, we normally have people begin with some kind of a story that kind of creates the... Uh, that is able to implant people into the narrative of we're living and what, what's happening, but then the text. So, so let's say I might tell a story about suffering. I might tell a story about how, um, you know, I might, I might go into depth about the struggle to deal with suffering and its purpose in our lives, and that could be a story about, you know, someone in our community or a movie or whatever. But then I, I, I Romans chapter 8, um, um, all things work together for good. To them who are called, who love God and are called according to his purposes. Okay, so that's the text. The text must center the sermon. It's, it speaks and it narrates an alternative interpretation of struggling and suffering and helps us see that God works in and through suffering. He doesn't come in and blow things up and, and just and, and coercively uh, force himself he works in and through suffering to work out his purposes in your life. Now, that's a different understanding of reality. So the text has to play that role of centering the narration of this reality that we are proclaiming that day. God is at work in suffering to accomplish his purposes in our lives. Now, that that's the second point. you got to have a good... Uh, rhetorical phrase. Rhetorical phrase. Now, what is a rhetorical phrase? Is it just like the big idea? Is it the proposition? The well, truth? It's the descriptive phrase that encapsulates and proclaims the reality that we are proclaiming. Today I proclaim God is at work in our suffering to accomplish his purposes in Westmont, which is where I live now. Okay? Now, that's, I can, if you can say I proclaim, you don't have to say I proclaim every time you do it in the sermon. But if you can say, I proclaim, or we declare, or we announce God is at work through Jesus Christ in our sufferings to accomplish his purposes in Westmont. Okay, that's a, re- that's a proclamatory statement, and we just go around and we proclaim it. I'd say use that rhetorical phrase five times during the sermon and build your teaching moments and your explanation and and fleshing of that and what that means around the rhetorical phrase. And then the last thing I'll say about a good proclamatory sermon is it always invites you into that reality. 
At the end, there's always a response. You know, um, in, in every proclamation of the gospel, there's always an invitation to repent and believe, to enter in. And you got to have that same invitation. Will you come in your suffering and place that before Jesus is Lord and trust him that he is work, that he's working in that suffering that you are walking through for his purposes? Will you walk in faith, believing, you know, and then invite people to take that step of faith and trust and embrace the truth of that proclamation? That's two or three quick and easy points on preaching. And that's almost that last point, the call to response, is almost like... It's not quite an altar call, but it is a weekly call to live a transformed life. It's not an application or a list of things to do. It's in this moment right now. Can you now take a step of, of believing that the world really works this way? That God or, is at work in or, you. Yeah, or, or maybe, depending on what sermon it is, we, we learn about the nature of sin and how it destroys our lives and how it causes suffering. And now, now, now this is actually... Probably I shouldn't be riffing off the top of my head because some people might misunderstand. On a different sermon, on a different text, it might be an occasion to confess sin and receive forgiveness and hope for our lives. But gospel is always hope. It's always proclaiming that God's at work. It's always receiving the new by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Right then, right there. Each Sunday, in a sense, we get saved. Each Sunday we get saved. And the purpose of the sermon is not to have people walk out with a list of things to do, but rather to walk out with a different way of seeing themselves, God, and the world. And that's why we talk about imagination. Uh, we could go, maybe if we have time, we could double back and talk about this, this idea of the E story, this, ex this story of experience or this plotment story. But imagination, I remember when I was in seminary, I was really chafing at the idea that my sermons always had to have application at the end because it just felt like moralizing. Um, but really, we need to have a transformed imagination. So a lot of times at the end of my sermon, uh, I'll go through a litany of ways that this might look in the world. You know, I might say, you know, so I was preaching on joy uh, on Sunday. You know, joy might look like this when you're at school and you're faced with a problem. Joy might look like this when you're at home and you're in the midst of this of your marriage. Joy might look like this at work, you know, and, and you just kind of expound on, on a different way of seeing the world and you kind of try things on for people so that and uh, maybe they won't all fit for everyone, but maybe someone will be like, oh, yeah, that is kind of how my life could work this way. And so, and they're not things to do. It's rather we're giving people ways to see. We're giving them new yeah. ways of viewing their life. And so a lot of times we just kind of go through a litany of like, it might look like this, it might look like this. And then we really talk about like uh, preaching your own life. Like this is what it's meant to me, you know, yeah. which is out of your weaknesses. Like this is how I totally have failed to experience this or your strengths. This is how I've experienced this and how it might right, work because for you. Because uh, there is no uh, location without you, the preacher, owning his or her <coughs> own location. So, yeah, that's really important. I, um, oh shoot, I had something else I wanted to say and I can't remember it now. Well, this happens. Okay, go, go, let me keep. Well, just to wrap it up, uh, we're kind of. Uh, oh, I know what I want to say. Okay, there we yeah, go. I, I, I wanted to say that uh, sometimes, uh, like, like back in. in we were starting Life in the Vine, we used to get people from sundry places saying, well, you don't preach the word. 
Oh gosh, I remember this. Yes. You don't preach the word. They come you, in and ask, "Do you does this church preach the word?" Yeah, because we the weren't word at this church because we weren't exegeting word for word, <clears throat> sentence for sentence. And and I remember writing chapter six of the Great Giveaway out of that frustration. Uh, and I want people to understand the text still has to be the centerpiece. Like there's nothing worse than somebody telling a story at the start of the sermon, and it goes longer and it overwhelms the rest of the sermon and makes the scripture less important. The centerpiece is scripture. It's out of this story that we are unfolding, that really the, the story is being unfolded before us and we're being challenged to live into its reality in Jesus Christ. Um, but, uh, you know, ironically, if you look at seven different commentaries on any word or text, they're going to have four or five different options for you. And I always said, well, what that means is there is no one clear option. And so you're not preaching the word. The pastor is getting to put his agenda into the word, the exegetical selection, if mm -hmm. you know what I'm trying to say. So all this to say, don't let that discourage you. You are proclaiming the word. Keep the text central. And use the rhetorical phrase to expound the reality of the gospel for people's lives. Mm -hmm. And invite them into it every Sunday. Every Sunday's an altar call. And every Sunday, the vine right. and peace of Christ, church. Well, literally, because we lead right into communion, so we're leading right to the altar. So if preaching... Do you do just as I am uh, as the people come to the communion table? Just as I am without one That's, That was quite good. We should have harmonized there. We didn't... So, if, if uh, preaching, as you said a moment ago, is announcing a new world has come to Jesus Christ, that, and if that truly is grace, yeah. then it doesn't always lead to a bunch of things that we need to do, although it does lead to transformation. It first leads to a transformation in our imagination, let, through the renewing of our minds, as Romans 12, 2 says, right? Yes. Through the renewing of our minds, these things need to be changed, and our imagination is that intersection of what we think and, how, and what we do. It creates an opportunity to coordinate our actions according to this new reality. Yeah. So preaching should be geared from that and to that. And then uh, we, we don't have enough time for this, but it really leads from and it should lead to community. This isn't something that is done by an individual on behalf of individuals, but it's, it's in the midst of a community of people, and it should always build up the community. Is that right? Absolutely. Of course it's right. Absolutely. This is why we say the Lord be with you and what is the also and also you. with you. This right? is us doing it together, praying that the Holy Spirit's at work. That's right. That's right. Or so I would challenge the Holy Spirit. All of you who are listening here who do not regularly preach, if you ever have a problem with a sermon, I would just suggest that maybe you pray more for your preacher so that they would know what the Spirit needs to say. And then it wouldn't stink so much, maybe. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Mm -hmm. All right, any last thoughts? No, that's it. I'm exhausted. You're exhausted? Not really, not really. I'm actually We're turned good. on by preaching. Okay, yeah. so, all right. Now, I think we missed this last time because we went long, but we're going to do Fitch versus Fitch because you've been throwing some good stuff out there. This has kind of moved from where I try to embarrass you to just like the good things yeah, that you I say. I have no on. idea what you're doing. What you're so, doing. Uh, you threw up there, uh, and this is always a Harawas quote. I think we made it to about 30 minutes without bringing a Harawas, so I think that's a record. Uh, but you said, quote, Good theologians use humor to avoid the idolatrous temptation to make or to take ourselves more seriously than God. What did you mean by that? Well, how, how what about humor? Oh, I just... <laughs> I, the reason why I put that up there was sometimes I feel like I come across too strong when I'm in a public setting, uh, too teaching serious. or preaching. 
you know, no, too strong. Like, in your face, too strong. And uh, I have discovered in the last couple of years that humor helps take that edge off so that people know, I'm, I'm really putting it out here. I'm not trying to dictate. I'm putting it out here. Admittedly, it's somewhat controversial the way I just did that, but please don't take me too seriously. Here's a joke. And I think humor, <laughs> I think humor helps me uh, open up the space for people to have conversation, dialogue, and, and back and forth. And so I just put that on there because I say, yeah, we need humor. Not to entertain, but to open up space to take the edge off so that people don't take me too seriously, but listen to the voice of God uh, in whatever he's doing in this group. That's what I was trying to say. All right, a lot of time your humor is, is uh, self-deprecating too, so that helps a lot. Definitely. All right, uh, I think uh, someone like Bart said that if uh, if you can't have fun while doing theology, you're doing it all wrong. So maybe that's a that was profound. Something similar to it. All right, well that's it for today. Again, Mr. Learning Commons is is coming up soon, November sixth and seventh. Uh, you can follow Dave and I on Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, he uh, is Fitchest, F-I-T-C-H-E-S-T, and I'm Jeff Holsclaw uh, on Twitter. Uh, until next time, Dave Fitch and Jeff Holsclaw signing off from Northern Seminary. Griffith Conference Room. There we go. We put it in there. The Northern Griffith Seminary, Conference. Chicago, Illinois. In the library. Oh, that's exactly everything you need to know about where we are. And it's a beautiful day in our neighborhood. So long. Okay. Are you going to go back and do your intro? You, you had a snazzy little intro there. <sighs> <laughs> Dave has his hands in his head. Did a great intro and you didn't even record it. All right, well, sorry. So why don't you start? No, you're good. You First of all, start. why don't you just talk about what a great day this is today? I mean, I Dude, wa- I wrote that down. I walked outside I today wrote it and down. I, said, I said, why does this feel like Cal... Are you got a phone call? No, I ruined it. I'm not... This is a bad podcast. We should start over. Start it all. No, I'm not going to start You're ruining me. I did. I ruined it. Where's my phone? I don't know.